0: All right, welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. We've got one of those humans on the line today. goes by the name Stephen Kotler. He's a New York Times bestselling author and an award-winning journalist. He's one of the world's leading experts on high performance. The author of eight bestsellers with both A Small Furry Prayer and Stealing Fire, nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. His writing has been translated into over 40 languages and appeared in over 100 different publications. Whenever possible, Mr. Kotler can be found hurling himself down mountains at high speeds. I am ecstatic to have you on the show. Welcome.
1: Mark, good to be with you.
0: Before we get into the mountains and the high speeds and all your awesome work, I open up the show with the same question for everyone. And it's just to understand who are you. So, so who is Stephen Collar? What what defines you, uh, as we speak here today?
1: Okay, that's a terrible first <laughs> cut
0: question. the line.
1: That's just a terrible first question. How do you do that to people? That's so mean. Even <laughs> we're gonna start life. What is the meaning of life? Why are you? <laughs> yeah, man. I you know I uh, I I'm a I. I put words together in a straight line. I hurl myself down onto the high speeds. I hang out with dogs, and I and I study the neuroscience of peak performance, and that's about all I yeah. do. That's <laughs> enough. That's
0: <what> I do. <laughs> totally. No, I mean, I I I asked that question for one simple purpose, just to avoid, you know, people giving uh, a job title, right? So, and it's always funny because you know, some people kind of react the way you did, like, whoa, that's a that's a pretty deep question to start off. And the idea is not to, you know, j- dive into this uh, unanswerable question. But what is interesting is usually the characteristics that you bring up, we, we end up coming full circle the whole conversation. So I'm sure that's going to happen again with this one. But just to give some context uh, for the listeners, Stephen, what, you know, what's, What's the story that that got you to where you're at when it comes to being, you know, uh, obsessed and and a leader in flow research?
1: Well, you know, there's a there's sort of a million different ways into this story, and I'll 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 just sound a couple two together for you as quick as I can. Sure. I started out as a journalist in the early 1990s, and uh, that was when action sports was first starting to happen skiing snowboarding rock climbing and the like and and back then if you could write and ski or write and rock climb or write and surf there was work and i was i mean i was 23 i was really hungry i was capable of doing nothing else but writing in the world like nobody was going to hire me i had dreadlocks down in my butt and weird <laughs> earrings and you know what I mean. Nobody that looked like me back then. Got jobs in, in the real world, so this is. I had to do this, and you know, I, I wanted to cover action sports, and I, and I didn't really do any of those things very well. But I was lying to my editors to get get on these assignments, and I spent about a decade chasing pro athletes around mountains, across oceans, and the level of performance improvement that we saw in the nineties in action sports was unlike anything that's ever happened before in the history of sport. Uh, we've, we saw nearly exponential growth in ultimate human performance, performance where life or limb is on the line. And that like that, doesn't even make any sense. That goes against the laws of evolution in a sense. And yeah. why, so why is this happening was a, was a really important question to not just me, to anybody, all the journalists who were sort of, there weren't a lot of us, but all of us were witnessing the same thing. And we'd see stuff and we'd talk about it and we'd be like yeah, this is gotta this is the winter, like we hit the edge, nobody's going farther than this, like no, it's not possible. we're you know we hit it, it's gotta <laughs> slow down next year, and you know next year it would double, yeah and of course, let the fuck is going right, so there was <laughs> a lot of that, coupled to the fact you know people forget this now that we've got action sports and the Olympic Games, and it's big money and all that stuff, but you go back to the nineteen nineties, action sports was like punk rock irreverent outcasts um and you know misfits everywhere and most of the people i knew so the people who were literally like extending the upper limits of possibility for the human species they came from broken homes and shitty childhoods they had no money they had very little education a lot of them and yet here they were like on a semi-regular basis reinventing what was possible for our species that like goes against everything we ever are taught, right? About human development. And I was fascinated by what the hell was going on. That was part, that's story one. So, right, I brought that question with me. I got Lyme disease when I was 30 years old. I spent three years in bed. I nearly died, blah, blah, blah.
0: Yeah, but that's Uh, a big one. I remember that story.
1: (laughs) You know, and I I, I cured it. It's a long story and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna tell you this short version. I'm stupid, short, but like I cured my Lyme disease was surfing and surfing was producing these profound, weird, altered states of consciousness. And I didn't know what was going on. And Lyme is only fatal if it gets into your brain. And I was assuming like I was getting better. I went from like five to 10% functional, meaning like I could think, use my brain and walk and move my, use my body, but less than an hour a day. I went to like 85% functional over the course of about eight months after the doctors had pulled me off medicines and said, we don't think you're ever going to get any better. Live with it. Um, And I started getting better by surfing and having these profoundly weird altered state experiences and what the hell is going on. And Lyme is only fatal, as I said, if it gets into your brain. So I was pretty sure, even though I was feeling better, right? I was like, well, you know, clearly I'm losing my mind because like the shit that was happening to me in the waves, I was having full, full, deep, what what we technically call macro flow states, which is when all flows core characteristics show up, but like turned up to 11 and that, you know, so this is when you start getting really so-called mystical experiences, out-of-body experiences, oneness with uh, the ocean kind of thing, all that stuff. And we understand now the neurobiology underneath that, but back then we sure didn't. And I was like, well, what that, like, what is going on? And I quickly figured out, these states have names, they're called flow states, and Herb Benson had done some really foundational work at Harvard on how they boost the immune system and reset the nervous system, which makes them very effective as a way to sort of go at uh, autoimmune conditions, which is a nervous system gone haywire. And, you know, he went so far as, in his book, The Breakout Principle, this argue that most so-called spaces, cases of spontaneous healing may actually be flow and this kind of mechanism, Hmm. I think that's massively overstating uh, the case, um, sure. but I could be wrong, I really could be wrong here. There's there's new information um, ev- almost every month now, because this is a really deep topic of, conver- of conversation in science right now um, in immunology. They're looking yeah. at states of consciousness, you know, came out of the meditation stuff, right? How does a state of consciousness impact health? And so now they're looking at other states of consciousness, of course. So, um, and, and, you know, taking deep looks so the research is actually still mounting on that stuff. So he may be more right than I was, but anyways, um, I quickly figured out that, holy shit, the same state of consciousness that got me from seriously subpar back to normal was taking normal people up to Superman. And it was the reason that I was see we were seeing so much heightened performance in action sports. These athletes for reasons that would take me almost 20 years to come to really understand, um, had found ways to massively increase the amount of flow in their lives. And they took a state that was rare and elusive and made it commonplace. And yeah. doing it, they pushed the level of performance faster and farther than any other group of people in history. Of course, you also have to understand, I wanna, I wanna pause to say, it's not just action sport athletes. We now know, anytime you see a culture of innovation, like a real innovation explosion, and this could be like Seattle and the grunge rock movement, or Silicon Valley in the '90s when the internet was being born, right? Sure, what you're seeing is an environment that is generating a tremendous amount of flow, and now we know why and can understand that. But for a really long time, we didn't. And you know, in Stealing Fire, we talk about how pretty much any skunk work that any company wants to build, right? These are essentially flow. Generating innovation structures for companies, right? There are ways for corporations to start generating a hell of a lot more flow, and you know, which is why Google X, their high flow skunk works, has produced fifty percent of the products that Google sells.
0: Hmm. Did you notice, the, like, when? So I was interviewing uh, Apollo Ono last uh, yesterday, actually, and he, you know, he's a an eight time medalist in short short track speed skating, and he must have brought up. Flow, you know probably half of the interview just it was just you know in conversation and he was doing everything possible to get in those states but like that's normal now, like when did it transition because you must be you're sitting on the outside like you're right there right
1: <laughs> honestly rise of superman well that's cool uh, look, i don't mean to be i don't mean to like to my own honor like,
0: yeah, yeah fair
1: it, like honestly was rise of Superman, meaning like the number of PhDs on flow shot through the, cause nobody knew all that work had been done. That was just, I mean, most of that, the other thing you, you, so what happened in flow research in America is in 2000, uh, Gina Collada, who's a sports reporter for the New York times asked a woman named Huda Kill, who is one of the world's leading endorphin researchers and was then the head of a, uh, one of the major, I can't remember which major uh, association of neuroscientists about runner's high. And she said, no, Mm. runner's high being caused by endorphins in the brain is a total fantasy of pop culture. It's bullshit. And she was wrong, actually, totally flat out wrong. But we, until 2007, we didn't know that. And what happened at that moment in time is the new age had Flow as a psychological term got introduced to the world in 1990 when Chick Csikszentmihalyi published his book, um, published Flow itself. There have been a handful of people who were working on it prior to that. and, And a lot of people were working on the psychology, but like that introduced it to the world. And it had about a 10 year run. And what they couldn't, the psychology of Flow is a terrible way to try to study the state or train the state. It's too complicated you have to go to the level of neurobiology. You have to get down to mechanism. And we didn't start getting actual really good neurobiological tools till around 97, 98, right? Um, So right around the time this comment was made, flow research left America. It shut down. You couldn't get funding. They were like, oh, this incredibly prominent neuroscientist says it's bullshit. It's bullshit. It left. Like the handful of flow researchers who were here, a lot of them went elsewhere, left the country. Um, most of the major research moved to Europe, the Karolinska Institute, um, all in the university in Germany. Um, very other than High, who was who was then at Claremont and the, and the people he was training, um, a lot of it went away and. But the work didn't stop it just left america and the new age are sure. right, claiming flow for this and that and this and that and that's even you know that scares scientists more than anything else so rise of superman was the first book that said hey wait a minute guys there's an entire field here and it was bad inside the field also so i you know if you want to talk about neuroscience, you really talk about four different things, right? Neurochemistry and neuroelectricity, which are the two ways the brain talks to itself and the body and then neural anatomy, where in the brain something is taking place and networks because things rarely take place in one place. There are uh, an assembly of places and they're working together. So networks, right? There were people who were working on EEG stuff, brain brainwaves, neuroelectricity for flow, but they didn't, they never talked to the neurochemistry people. And the neurochemistry people never talked to the neuroanatomy people and nobody was talking to the network people so i was probably the first major person to come along you know i spent 20 years talking to all these different people um, and, and combining it together and the result was rise of superman and no because nobody once that got done and people went oh my god here's the full body of work here's everything that's gone on this is an actual field of study you know, now today there are probably, um, we're going to pause for a second. You're going to have to cut out my dog drinking in the background or you just, it's, go it's all in. good. This is right. live. He's, okay, so, well, I apologize. He's huge. And he's a pig. He's got the worst table manners known to Matt. He's got really bad. timing. <laughs>
0: Hydration um, is key. We, we should all realize crazy.
1: that. I apologize for the, the, the bad sound. Um, <laughs> anyways, I'm not going to yell at him though. Hydration is key. Um, Yeah, so I, like, I, I, I mean, I, I really, it's, and it's, Rise of Superman wasn't just in and of itself the, the catalyst. It it was that there was a body of work that was being built up that was sort of celebrated and talked about in Rise of Superman.
0: Mm
1: It's a, it's a huge body of work, right? And I mean, by 2013, we had fMRI scans of what flow looked like we we had really good eeg data we started to get physiological data i mean to just give you an idea so like when rises everything almost everything we knew about flow came was, was in rise of superman when it came out since that time you know i now can tell you that it appears that when you drop into flow your smile muscles become hyperactive and your frown muscles may be paralyzed um and that hmm. actually mean you're unhappy in flow because your frown muscles are actually correlated to mental effort. And because okay. flow is effortless effort, it doesn't produce the same signature on your face. Doesn't mean you're not burning a hell of a lot of energy in flow. You're probably burning a ton more than normally, but it doesn't register as effort. We don't read it that way.
0: Interesting. Hey, just wanted to thank you for being here. And if you're enjoying the show, drop us some lovely stars wherever you're listening. They really make a huge difference. Also, after requests from you, I've put together some mental fitness training packages in collaboration with Thrive Medicine. I'll work directly with you to help implement and personalize practices and routines to ensure your mind is thriving thriving shoot me a message directly or check out the link in the show notes thank you as always and back to the show well that 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 probably leads into the because one question i was going to ask you i mean you've you've studied and written about the topic for well since the beginning essentially since essentially bringing all these people in the same room you know so to speak through rises uh, of superhuman and then you've got the the latest one coming out in January, the art of impossible a peak performance primer. My question was going to be, you know, like what's, what's new? Like why, why write another book? Right. Yeah.
1: Okay. So by the way, at peak, the, the art of impossible is a book that everybody has wanted me to write. Um, and they wanted rise as Superman to be. Um, and so art of impossible, mm-hmm. literally everything I've learned about peak human performance over 30 years of studying. I mean, my, what I specialize in is those moments when impossible becomes possible doesn't matter what field right I started in an action sports, but I took that same question into every domain and then I wrote books yeah. about it right All my books are about you know people tackling impossible challenges and how did they do it yeah um, I love it It's a huge body of work that had never been systematized before and so basically art of impossible is. Um, a giant how to, and it's the entire cognitive peak performance landscape. And I don't think any, and it's the first, as far as I can tell, completely neuroscience based approach to all of it. It's, uh, the book focuses predominantly on, um, the motivation, uh, suite. So I'm using motivation as a, a catch all term, right? It okay. focuses on motivation, learning, creativity, and flow these are the foundational pillars of mental high performance these are the things that get amplified by the brain and um in flow and they're also the things uh that you need to be really really good at to sustain flow over time so some of this is uh some of the art of the possible is um the first i think really deep how to book about flow right and flow hacking but it's Mm -hmm. also one of the so it turns out if you go back to the 90s and the early thousands, flow is incredibly hard to train, right? We know it's peak performance, we know it does all these amazing things, um, and amplifies all these different skills that we all want. But training it from the psychology is terrible, right? If you start biology, yeah. that's mechanism. So, for example, at the collective, right, our major flow training, Zero to Dangerous, we measure flow pre and post using the best you know, psychological instruments that are available, and we're seeing a 70 to 80% boost in flow. This is what happens when you train from the neuroscience. One of the things I should tell you is that boost is not sustainable for most people. So they get that boost, and you can go up that high, but they can't sustain it over time. And I started asking this question almost in around 2011, which is when I really started thinking about how do you train this stuff? And I started to notice, wow! And when you train up, like for example, Navy SEALs, they don't tend to backslide. They they're able to sustain those really peak levels of flow, and I, you would see it in certain top executives.
0: Okay, because yeah. I thought I thought it stuck around for uh, you know two three days or something. If you're oh, in well, a peak,
1: no, no, you're talking about the effects of flow. I'm talking. Gotcha. About ability to get a 70% increase in the amount of flow you're seeing in your life overall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah but you're talking about the, uh, a mob at Harvard discovered that the heightened creativity. So we know depending on whose numbers you want to go by and the creativity, uh, you know, it's technically defined as uh, the uh, creation of something novel and useful. But when you, sure. you really look under the hood of it, it's there's like, a million subcomponents, idea generation, problem solving, decision, made, you know, blah, 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 um, all the way through idea execution and, and risk taking and stuff like that. So um, every one of those things have been measured. They all seem to go through the roof and flow, but the numbers are like 400 to 700% increase in flow. It's a huge increase. And what Teresa discovered is that that heightened creativity will outlast the flow state by a day, maybe two. Um, okay. It's really powerful. But what I'm saying is y- when you come out of Zero to Dangerous, you're going to be spending 70% more time and flow than you were before you took the course. The problem yeah. is it's not going to stay that high. It's going to drop, right? See. Make, okay. out there, it'll, it'll, it'll go back down to like 10% more or 5% more. And the question is, well, why? What's wrong, right? And the answer is it turns out everything we know about cognitive high performance is not just design you can't just tune you can't just work on flow or you can't just work on habits or on attention or on goals or on grit or on intrinsic motivation or on learning they actually all have to be worked on in a very specific order because there's nothing so foundational principle in pre performance peak human performance is nothing beyond getting your biology to work for you rather than against you Anybody Mm -hmm. tries to tell you anything else they're lying there's just your biology it either works for you or it works against you and this by the way is not new information william james was writing about this at the turn of the 19th century um or the turn of the 20th century so like we know this and um the system, it's not only that your biology is, is designed to work in a certain way. So, let me give you a really simple example. When you start any kind of peak performance training, you have to start first with a locus of control. Do you believe that you are in control of your life or do you believe that life happens to you? Because if you believe that life happens to you, if you don't have what's known as an internal locus of control, everything else is worthless. Literally can't teach you anything. It's like having a fixed mindset. anything else right so you have to start with locus of control and fixed mindset and then the very next thing you have to go to is curiosity curiosity is a potent intrinsic motivator and when you can generate multiple curiosities that's passion lives at the intersection of multiple curiosities when you take passion and you couple it to a cause greater than yourself that's purpose Once you have purpose, you need autonomy, the freedom to pursue your purpose. And then you need mastery, the skills to develop, to to pursue your purpose. It's designed to work in a specific order. That's the biology, literally. Um, And you can
0: apply this to anything. Like I'm thinking of, you you know.
1: And it goes all the way through. It goes, and then like once you get your intrinsic motivation lined up, you need goals. And you need three levels of goals. You need like a mission statement level, what we call massively transformative purposes. I, by the way, against Peter coined the term, Peter and Salim Ismail coined that term when we were at Bold, and I fucking hate it because it just sounds ridiculous to me, but you <laughs> coined it, so I'm going to live with it. So <laughs> what I would, you need a, like a mission statement for your life, right? Earlier yeah. you asked me, what do you do? And I sort of chuckled because I'm like, I only do the things on my mission statement and the stuff needed to support my mission statement. Right, like that's all I do. Yeah, um, and so it's a very it's a number one filter, and then you need you know high hard goals. Right, my mission statement: I want to write books that impact the world. Right, one a higher goal is I want to write a book called The Art of Impossible. That's a singular right, and then you need clear goals, which is what's the shit I'm going to do today, and what's the order I'm going to do it in to advance my higher goals. Yeah, to, to get it done. Right? blah blah, and. So and it goes from there. Grit gets layered on then, and you got it. By the way, you can't start getting grit really until you start generating more flow, because nobody will train grit without flow, because it's misery without any payoff, and we don't. We're not wired for misery without payoff. Fascinating. So there's, there's literally like there's an entire order, and this is, and we now have the neurobiology underneath the, all of it, and I think so. In the way that Rise of Superman gave you a full look at, you know, pulled all the flow stuff together, The Art Impossible does it. I mean, the, the biggest difference is The Art Impossible is, you know, a lot more of it is is my actual re- is is research that I've done, the flow research collective has done, that I've done with our colleague. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's changed a lot over the years. It's much less reporting and more, you know, I'm I'm the guy driving it. Also, um, so that's changed a little bit. But it's also the first comprehensive look at how flow fits into all these categories. Also, right, like all these things play a role in flow. Um, when you look at what does flow amplify the most, it's motivation, learning, creativity, right? And so why would you be training up the three things that you that flow already amplifies? Because flow is like taking a car and driving at 150 miles an hour and if you don't for a long stretch period of time right And if it's yeah. not solid car you're gonna it's gonna blow up right you're going really yeah. fast so if people do not for example one of the main flow triggers is the challenge skills balance right that basically says we get into flow most frequently when we're using our skills to the utmost when we use our skills to the utmost we get better at them so if you can't learn onboard new skills So you can keep staying at that edge of what's possible. You can't do this work over time. And most people are not phenomenal learners. So you have a lot of, you have the, and you have to learn how to onboard, you know, intellectual knowledge. You have to learn how to onboard physical skills. And then you need a whole bunch of meta skills that surround learning that tell you if what you're learning is right or wrong. So if you, for example, if you don't, if you're not well-versed in first principle thinking, the scientific method, the methodologies of investigative journalism or some other truth filter, you have no way to quickly evaluate what you're learning. So you can't learn at the rate needed to learn and flow for a high flow lifestyle, Mm. right? If you really, the book is called The Art of Impossible. It's about how do you tackle seemingly, hard challenges and i'll give you a couple more things that i think are really important to talk about here one we are designed this is one of the clearest things that we've learned over the past 25 years is we are literally designed as a species for high hard challenges like that we're built for it yeah. in fact what the research is starting to show is that if you're not using the system how it's been designed what you get is massive amounts of anxiety and depression and things like that like all the stuff that all the so-called diseases of the modern world right the mental diseases of the modern world all come back to we're not using the system the way it was designed to be used and um it's real i mean you know we have different labels for it but it's really 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 clear Um, Well, and across the board like everything yeah, we're I mean, way off. If you're not living with, with passion and purpose, that produces depression.
0: Yeah. If
1: you right, I mean, like literally, like if you lo- start looking at the way the system is designed, you're like, oh wow. If you do it right, you get flow. If you do it wrong, you get depression and anxiety, and there are consequences. Um, of you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So y- there must be a whole section on, I'd imagine, on just flow and immunity. In, in this book or the
1: whole book is the book is about mental high performance okay like stay away stay away from the body um yeah. I really do it's just like there's a people love to come in through the body they do it's i like i because there's pills there or there's yeah. like, <laughs> it's, it's i mean people love technologies and they love uh they or or substances and i always laugh and and the story i always tell when somebody always asked me these questions um i i was a journalist and i you know i I covered a lot of things and over the course of my journalism career i was shot at on about five different occasions and at no point when somebody was actually firing a weapon at me could i say excuse me sir would you mind putting down that ar-15 for a second while i take this substance and alter my consciousness so i can dodge your bullets." or use your technology or you know or or deploy this breathing technique i mean like are you kidding Mm -hmm. i need psychological triggers that i can deploy anywhere at any time that can get me into a state of peak performance because that's you know what i mean and that that's an example but we've all stood outside you know surprise work meeting holy crap, I got a pitch ahead of the, you know what I mean? Like we've all done that. We've all had that situation a million times. It could be nothing more than you come back home after a long freaking day at work and you're exhausted and your wife sits down and looks at you and goes, honey, and suddenly you're like, oh, fuck, we're going here, right? (laughs) I've got nothing left and if I don't perform at my best right now, we're going to argue for the next week and it's going to be horrible right? Like we, that's, this is, this is normal life. This happens all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Who, my wife is not going to be cool. If I'm like, honey, that's great, but I'm going to go uh, use the transcranial magnetic stimulation device. <laughs> I like, can shift my consciousness so I can deal with your shit. Right. But that doesn't, like that. No, that's not yeah. how it works. I wish, you know what I mean? Like if life had a pause button, great. But until life has a pause button, I'm going to train people in the psychological triggers. Um, totally. You know, high performance and it's not that the immunology stuff isn't interesting to me but i try to stay in my lane yeah yeah. what you know what is the neurobiology of flow how does it work in the brain how do we get more of it that's that's where i'm at and i'm not saying there isn't a body connection isn't a whole lot of immunology stuff going on it's not super interesting and i'm super excited for somebody else to do that work but it's not my work
0: yeah no no i I understand that but and it makes sense in the sense that. I mean, it, it all starts at the top, like kind of what you're mentioning. You, you can't, if someone's not, even if you're talking about diet and nutrition and exercise, like name any, anything related to the body. If, like they're, if someone's not ready or open to, to see what that can do, like it's useless, right? So I, I can see it, you're, you're at the source.
1: Mark, let me also uh, flat out say, you know, we train people, uh, there are, I call them positive psychology basics. About six things that positive psychology has taught us over the past thirty years that you sort of need to do. Three set three groups of them work on the physical side of the equation on your you know body energy that sort, and three are sort of mental hygiene kind of stuff. Um, and you know you you've mentioned half of the right. There's on the energy side you have got hydration, nutrition, um, sleep, and social support though most people don't understand why social support sits on the energy side rather than on the cognitive side. But I always say, remember the last time you got in a fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or brother or sister would take your pick? How much energy did you have the next day? Um, yeah, good right. point. So social, social support is so foundational. Chris Peterson, who's a brilliant positive psychologist at the University of Michigan has said, you can summarize 30 years of positive psychology in a single phrase, which is other people matter. Hmm. And, now, by the way, I'm an extreme introvert who doesn't like people. And I <laughs> resent that statement, but he's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, He's right. I can't even argue with it on that front. Right. And I want to argue with it. Trust me. Um, and, you know, social support isn't a big deal. It means like have, a, you know, have a good two, three, four times a week, have a good conversation with somebody who loves you, you know, if you can. Yeah. And it's the other thing that to know about the social support thing, um, is your brain, every time you have, uh, encounter any kind of problem, anything in your life, right? Like your brain makes up in a couple of milliseconds, makes a, a risk assessment. And um, part of that risk assessment is based on social support. Do I have to solve this problem alone? If I solve this problem alone and it goes wrong, do there are people who love me who can help me fix it afterwards. All those kinds of things. The brain does that calculation in milliseconds, but impacts every decision we make at a very deep unconscious level. So that's on that side. And, you know, the other side of the equation is mindfulness, gratitude, and exercise. And what I always tell people on the mindfulness, gratitude, and exercise thing, they're all great tools for cognitive, for mental hygiene, right? They all sort of reset the nervous system and do one a day. You either need five minute gratitude practice, 11 minutes of some kind of breath work mindfulness something or mm. usually 20 to 40 minutes of exercise you we want to exercise till it's quiet upstairs you're not going for a physical goal you're going for like the that kind of global release of nitric oxide that you get when it gets quiet upstairs um gotcha about 20 minutes in and on the on the physical side on the social on the energy side right social support sleep we all need seven to eight hours a night. You know, and nutrition, hydration is quite simply the idea that peak performance demands a lot of fuel. So, yeah, we can't correlate this or that food to flow, but, and there's certainly no diets. Everybody's diet is individual, right? You can't, there's no flow diet for anybody or anything like that. That's absurd. But, you know, yeah. healthy eating matters, right? Like Mediterranean diets over time, we sort of evolved for them. It seems like that's a good place to start. of start as your baseline and then just test run the run the experiments on yourself but on the on the mental side on the energy side i say look you can sort of screw up one of those a day but you can't really like you can if you didn't get enough sleep you you're going to be able to perform at your best provided you've got some social support and you've gotten good hydration nutrition right yeah but if you screw up hydration nutrition And, but you got plenty of sleep and you got good, right. You can screw up. And during times of crises, no, I don't think you could screw any of those up. Right. Like
0: that's where, that's where everyone gets wrong. I find, right. That's when everything goes off the rails. Like, Oh no, I'm I'm too stressed. I can't do this. And like, shit,
1: this is exactly when you
0: need. This stuff. you You have to double
1: down on that stuff then. Right. Yeah. And the same thing on the, you know, I one a day on the other side, right. On the mental stuff. But during times of crisis, two a day. Yeah. Right. Or during COVID, I mean, Christ, COVID was the only time (laughs) in my life I was reliably doing a gratitude practice, a a mindfulness practice and getting large amounts of exercise every day, no matter what, um, for the first two months of the lockdown, you know what I mean? Just to stay
0: So are you just, I I want to be conscious of your time. So one of the last questions, but for you then personally, how, like, what are you doing to, to, I guess, to audit your days and weeks? Are you, is it is it more of you've got time blocks for these things, and depending on you know what's coming up right now? Let's say in the morning, you'll you know you'll, no, you'll jump not, into something.
1: No, my day is really I I literally like you know, My day is very extremely regimented. Um, okay, and you know it changes during ski season, but when it's not ski season and I'm not traveling to give a speech, I'm, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I write from four a.m. till eight a.m. From eight till nine, I put on uh, a heavyweight vest and I hike my dog up a mountain behind my house. The I come train. back, I eat, and, uh, um, and then the next hour and a half is usually uh, spent on um, either a second writing projects. Well, all, all first four hours are always about my book. Okay. Maybe needs more love and it'll get that second section or you know oftentimes that's when i'll then that's when i'll do uh work for the flow research collective we'll have a lot of meetings during that period um in the okay. afternoon I'll do, you know I, I take an i take a nap every day for 20 to 40 minutes yeah. uh, eat lunch you know and then i'll 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 write and until about four o'clock and i'll either you know go to the gym or i'll sit down and read neuroscience for a couple hours and then i'm done love it
0: it's great it's, it's, it's good. I mean, I think I, I asked that question just to, because everyone's different, obviously, right? And I just want to give people ideas of what you can do. Um, as a first time author on this side, I'm writing my first book. I'm glad to know that I'm doing the early morning writing like yourself. So that's probably a good sign, but uh, that's helpful, super helpful. And even more so in times of, you know, high stress and whatnot to, to be conscious of the fact that we need more of these types of practices right that was that's good it's a good reminder The last question for you what makes you smile each day
1: my dogs
0: love it because you guys you and your wife have uh, a dog
1: sanctuary right we had a dog sanctuary for 11 years we do we still have a sanctuary we don't do rescue work anymore um okay we were doing hospice care and special needs care and we were living in Chimayo, New Mexico, which is the second poorest county in America with the highest incidence of animal cruelty. So we were on the front lines for 13 mm-hmm. years and uh, uh, we moved uh, a year ago because um, you can't, you know, they kick you out of the Peace Corps after a decade for a reason. Um, okay. You, can't, you really, it's, it, you, you just being on the front lines for 13 years is like, you know the average income in chumayo new mexico for a family family we forget individual family is sixteen thousand dollars a year wow you're talking about some of the most yeah. dire, heart-wrenching poverty you've ever seen incredibly violent difficult place to live and incredibly difficult to do this work so we you know we 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 are reinventing what we're going to do uh at a high level again we're still doing the sanctuary work because you know hospice care you know the goal is to keep them as li- alive and happy as long as possible, so we've got you know a pretty we' got a pack left because um, our healing protocols are sort of phenomenal we're really good we can we can we can take a dog that's got late stage cancer and should be dead in three weeks and usually get another four or five years out of them Wow uh, uh so our healing protocols are really phenomenal for for canines uh but you know you end up with a lot of really healthy dogs that live a very long time, so hospice care can be you know. So we're still kind of almost at capacity, but we shut down the facility technically sure. um, and we stopped asking people for donations um, and that sort of stuff um, until we re- reinvent ourselves with whatever's going to come next, um, yeah. which will probably happen next year or year, year, year or two. But um, the flow right. research is is, is is growing so fast and exploding so that I, I'm trying to slow the dog stuff for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. 13 years of the front line. Let's take a couple of years and, and gather ourselves so I can, you know, otherwise um, I'm going to lose my mind.
0: Yeah, of course. I think a well-deserved uh, rest. Let's just say, um, Steven, I just want to thank you a for, for taking some time to speak with me and everyone listening. Uh, I'll link to the, the book. It's up on, uh, well, anywhere you would buy books at this point, it's, it's available. I'll make sure the links there, but I, I, I'd, I want to thank you more so for staying the course you know for you know breaking eighty bones in your body and going through all these crazy experiences with this this type of work when it wasn't you know it wasn't being talked about, and now it's being talked about, and you obviously have a huge uh impact in that or, or a huge weight in in why that is the case right now. so thanks for that.
1: I appreciate that uh, you're welcome. I you know there's was a lot of people doing a lot of good work. Um, over a long period of time, um, without anybody noticing, so it wasn't just—I just, I was the one who sort of gathered in one place and said, "Hey, shit, look at this." Um, yeah, love it, but I uh, appreciate that.